welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Of the privilege of continuing the, the talk on um, restoring the awe of God and another way of, uh, of phrasing that is that we had the sense, we have the sense that God is calling us to return to the fear of God. I'm not going to try and explain what fear of God means because I want it to hang in the air with everything, all of its whatever that it comes with that that you're holding on to but later on we'll we'll get a little bit more of a picture part of part of the scripture that is underlying um, everything we're talking about is from Isaiah chapter 6 which pastor Josh talked about but also Isaiah chapter 66 which I will read about I'll read now verse 1 and 2 Thus says the Lord. I'm reading from New King James because that's the Bible I started to read when I got saved. Um, he says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look On the one who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. On this one I will look, the one who is poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who is of a contrite spirit. Contrite is repentant. The first thing that Jesus said as he started out his ministry, he actually said repent, not God loves you. Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. It's here. And as a king, he could announce that. And, and as he was saying that, he was actually um, letting his people, these people know who thought they knew God, that they don't actually know God. And so they needed to repent, to turn around. It wasn't just a psychological phenomenon where you're like, oh, I changed my mind. It's your whole entire life turns from where you have been going, walking, practicing, and to God. Repent, contract spirit, and who trembles at my word. Part of the imagery that comes with the word tremble for me is um, earthquake. Now, I'm familiar with earthquakes because I grew up in a country where, well, my town was actually in the valley of a volcano, and it actually erupted. early 2000s and you could hear the shaking the houses the earth itself like it spread terror and then um, it actually erupted and so there, there is there is that the the sense of with this imagery is that when God speaks what moves in our lives when he speaks is there anything that moves that is shaken that is sifted so that what remains, what is left, is actually what's going to glorify Him. And so as, as, this, as this sort of shapes the narrative and, and what we're talking about, um, part, of, part of what's going on in this conversation that we've been talking about last week, uh, Pastor Scott stole a lot of material 
God bless him. Um, and you know what? That's fine because um, it helps to paint a picture of where the children of Israel are, Israelites were at. Now Moses in Exodus chapter 19 had already had an encounter with God. And so he's, he's going for another encounter with God at Mount Sinai. Not only that, but later on in Exodus 33, he goes back for another encounter with God. That one encounter um, can change everything and is also an invitation into more, more encounters. And so if we can turn to Exodus chapter 19, I want to start with the heart of God here. That at the heart of everything, this is what God is actually trying to communicate when he's calling us deeper into the waters. So Exodus chapter 19. What's happening here is that um, God has already said to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn, let him go, let him come to me. And so as he's speaking to Moses, In chapter 19, the first verse, uh, the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, to to that mountain, um, because they departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain, and Moses went up to God, and God called him from the mountain, and he said, You shall say to the house of Jacob, Um, the children of Israel, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You've seen what God has done to the sin that so enslaved us. You've seen that. It's a picture of, 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 of what God did through the cross. And this is just a shadow of it. He's defeated hell and the grave. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and now and how I bore you on eagles' wings. In other words, you didn't have to do much but walk in the direction that I was pointing you in. I bore you on eagles' wings. Now, eagles don't usually actually carry their young like kangaroos. In fact, they drop them off cliffs. (laughs) I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's the heart. I've brought you to myself. This whole entire thing, yes, I want to give you land. I want to give you promises. I want to bless you. It's all so that I would bring you to myself, to my heart, that you would know me, really know me. That's the heart of everything. An 11-day journey into the land of Canaan actually diverted to Sinai because Moses wanted the people of Israel to know God, the God that he encountered. Because if you're wanting to head into the promise of God without God, you're going to fail. You are going to fail. Pastor Andrew Williams preached um, awesomely in, in January, and he said, in God's ways, there is God's favor. In God's ways, there is God's favor. And this is true because God continues and he says, and you shall... Um, So, therefore, in verse 5, if you will obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Everything is mine, but I'm choosing you. 
And he's the way you should go. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Moses relays this message back to the people. And in verse 8, the people answered and together and they said, All that God has spoken, all that he said, we're going to do. All that he said, we're going to do. So God's like, all right, you know what? Let's test this theory. And so he proceeds to tell Moses, prepare them, prepare them, consecrate them. Make sure they wash their clothes. Make sure they purify their hearts. Make sure that they set themselves up to encounter with me, to encounter with me. At the heart of it all, it's God saying, I love you so much. I want to be with you. I created you to be with me. Adam walked with God. What we lost was connection to him. And that is everything that God has tried to do all around that is so that we would be one with him again. That's the prayer of Jesus for us. And so if you hear anything, it's at the heart of it all. This incredibly large, massive God who holds us, breathes stars, is saying, I'm right here. Would you come closer? Would you come closer? And, and, and part of this is, 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 is really weird to me because this is a fantastically large God and majestic God who is really, he's being really vulnerable, right? He's being vulnerable. He's sharing his heart. Um, it's not the stoicness of him that we're seeing here. It's the father who is wanting to connect with his children. It's the father who's wanting to connect with his children. And, and I mean, I don't know for you if you've, if you've ever maybe confessed your love to someone. <laughs> um, or maybe you've had something on your heart that you, you felt a burden um, and you just shared it with somebody. And then you saw the look on their face and you go, we're not on the same page. It's like, man, I've just been... You sense that, right? You sense, feel that. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Jesus clarifies by saying, And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one and only true God. You know, his heart didn't change. In Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, um, let's read from 16. Um, Paul is, is trying to encourage the Corinthians and he's saying to them, What agreement has the temple of God, we've heard about the temple of God, with idols? You are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. God lives in you. What agreement what are idols doing inside of us? What are false gods doing inside of us? That's what Paul is saying. As God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. That we would be, that we would be defined by the presence of the living God walking among us. That is his heart. Therefore. Come out from among them and be separate, says God. This is New Testament, quoting the Old Testament. So that means it's still relevant for us today. 
Don't touch anything that is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. There it is again. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. There are two types of encounters that we could have. I've got four, sort of four major points that I'm um, helping to anchor my mind. The first point is the vulnerability of the heart of God. This second point is encounters with God. My third point is going to be pink elephants with yellow dots. And the last one is going to be the fear of God. I'm glad you're still listening on the pink elephants. <laughs> there are two types of encounters. There is the encounter that shows you what God is doing or has done, like the cross. And then there is the encounter where God is seen, is seen, not what he's doing, he's seen clearly. Where he's seen clearly. And that's different because in the presence of an encounter of miracle or the miracles of God, we can still hold on to idols. God can heal you. God can move through you. And then five days, five years, five, 50 years, you look nothing like a follower of Jesus. You can still hide your sin in the presence of miracles. But when you encounter God face to face, that's how we're transformed. And so we've got to learn the difference between the two. Um, it says of Moses in, in Psalm and the children of Israel when they're talking about this whole journey in the wilderness that Moses knew the ways of God. He, he knew the character of God. It, it's almost like he could, he could predict, right? Parents, you will know this, or if you've got brothers and sisters, you will know that at a certain point, given the right circumstances, you can predict, oh, watch this, they're about to do it. Moses knew that. How many of us are going around going, well, God, what do you want to do? What are you doing? Tell me. Moses knew that. Not only that, but God delighted to share this kind of stuff with Moses. Um, the other one was actually with Abraham. Uh, when, when God is actually going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he has an encounter with Abraham. And then he goes, am I actually going to go and do this without telling my friend Abraham? No, I'm not. Let me just talk with him. Let me talk with him. That was Psalm 100 and, where is it? I think it's 103, I believe so. The acts of God were never meant to take the place of intimate fellowship of encountering Him. They were meant to invite us, they are meant to invite us into close intimacy with Him. Always meant to do that. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Um, I'm going to read a lot of scripture because I love the Bible um, and it's good. But we all with unveiled face, beholding, 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 looking at, fixing our eyes on, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, not the work of God, the glory of of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the living God. It's as we look at Him that we change. As we look at Him, we change. Now, 
um, I guess I would like to, I would like to um, have a little bit of, because sometimes it's hard to imagine what are the children of Israel experiencing in Exodus chapter um, chapter twenty when God finally comes down. They've prepared themselves, um, and Pastor Scott read this last week. Um, but I guess I would like to have a little bit of of, of a tiny little bit of an experience of what that might look like in a minute. Um, but it says this in verse 18 of chapter 20 of Exodus. Now all the people saw the thundering and the lightning and the flashes of sound, the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and then the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They said to Moses, we know what we said, that we'll do everything, and we want to be close to God, but you speak with us. We will hear you, but don't let God speak with us so that we don't die. And the question with this is, who have you given your responsibility to hear from God yourself? Where have you given that to? And I guess for us, it's like going, ah, a bunch of cowards. <laughs> bunch of cowards. Why would you do that? Because Moses then goes and he goes, um, don't fear because God hasn't, uh, God's come to test you. Um, you know, how do we deal with that, with that God who comes to test us? God bless you. And that his fear might be before us. His fear might be before us so that we might not sin. So the people stood afar and Moses drew near in the thick darkness in the middle of the thick darkness when God was. When Ezekiel actually had his um, encounter with God, he saw something really similar. Um, he saw a thick darkness surrounding the throne of God. But then in the middle, he could see a man on the throne. He could see the image of a man on the throne. That The darkness didn't put him off. The darkness didn't put Moses off. But let's put ourselves in the feet of the Israelites. Now, first of all, if you've got children or you've got sensitive ears, I'd like you to, you know, maybe put your, put your things in your ears. Um, maybe cover your children's ears. Um, what I'm gonna, just going to do is I'm going to play the sound of lightning and thunder. Now, what I want you to do is this is probably just a little bit of what they were experiencing. But just so that you get the experience of what it might have felt like. It would just be less than a minute. So we're going to play that right now. Just experience it. You might want to close your eyes if you feel like it, whatever. But can we play that real quick? And this is simulated. guys okay 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 so that's all simulated none of that's real there's no rain or anything like that okay so hands up if your body reacted right a little bit you're like uh, or you just had a, okay so they're feeling stuff 
in, in, in the presence of God. That's why I said earlier, uh, we're talking about the fear of God, but I'm not trying going to try and explain this away so that, you know, we, 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 we try and get an idea of like trying to tone it down to what, what would be more comfortable. Um, but this is what happens to the children of Israel. They're in the presence of all of this, probably much more because there's fire and smoke and they're freaking out. Uh, but Moses knows something different. That in the middle of that, in the middle of that, there is a revelation. There is something awaiting that you cannot find unless you walk straight through to it. And so, the reason why this is an invitation to go closer to God is because if we retreat... We create um, a vacuum. We create a vacuum. Because an absence of face-to-face encounter with God, with the truth of God, creates a vacuum and it makes us susceptible to deception. Because it's going to be filled by something. The absence of the truth about God is not an invitation. It is not an invitation for us to create a God who's, who we're comfortable with. It's not an invitation for God for that to happen. It creates a vacuum and we can fill it with lies and deception. The enemy is actually happy to do that. And it, it, it's actually not an invitation for us to fill it with stuff that's not true about God. No matter how uncomfortable it gets. Whatever it is, no matter how uncomfortable it gets about God, it's our opportunity to square up, to look Him straight in the face and allow that revelation to take its place in our heart and make the changes that need to happen. Second Corinthians, we're going to uh, read chapter 7 in a minute, but how have you created or what are the things you've accepted so that God is more palatable to you? What's your pink elephant with yellow dots? Let me read to, uh, to you a um, a check that I have done almost <laughs> almost every year since I read it first. Um, it's from Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, which I would I would recommend because it. Um, yeah, it's from, I think, chapter 4 and 5. He talks about the profile of the lukewarm, talking from Revelation where Jesus says, um, you're neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were one of them so that uh, I wouldn't have to spit you out. He's talking to the church. Pink elephants with yellow dots look like when people attend church fairly regularly because that's what's expected to them. It's what good Christians do. Or they give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. And if they have a little bit extra, it's easy and safe to give so. They will do. They tend to choose what's popular over what's right when they're in conflict. And there's a desire to fit in both the world and outside of the world. 
concerned with what God think what 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 the world thinks about them rather than what God thinks of their hearts and lives. They say they love Jesus as he is indeed a part of their life, but only a part. They give him a section of the time, some of their money, some of his some of their thoughts, but he's not allowed to control everything. Sometimes it looks like people who love God, but they don't love Him with all their heart, soul, and strength. They would be quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, but that sort of total devotion is really possible for the average person. Only for pastors, only for missionaries, and those radicals. It looks like people thinking about earth much more than eternity with Jesus. It looks like doing whatever is necessary to keep ourselves from feeling too guilty when we're confronted with our sin. And we want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without, require, without it requiring too much of us. Questions like, how far can I go before it's considered a sin? We'll pass our minds instead of how can I keep myself pure as a temple of the Holy Spirit? How much do I have to give instead of how much do I get to give? How much time should I spend praying and reading the Bible instead of I wish I could sit here and read and stay in your presence longer? It will look like people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money, and energy they're willing to give because you don't want to burn out, right? They're thankful for our luxuries, but we rarely consider to giving as much as possible to the poor. Quick to point out that Jesus said, never said that money is the root of evil, but only the love of money. Continually concerned with playing it safe. This focus on safety, on safe living, keeps them from actually sacrificing and risking for God. Um, they feel secure, a lukewarmness when we've got pink elephants with yellow dots kind of version of God. We feel secure because we attend church. We make a profession of faith at a young age. And we were baptized. We come, to a, we come from a Christian family maybe or we're a Christian nation. We vote the popular party and we live in Australia so we're safe. In fact, when we have this version of God, we don't live by faith. Our lives are structured so we never really have to live by faith. We don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. We have our savings account for that. We have a retirement plan in, in place for that. So we don't really need to trust God to help us. We aren't, genuinely, uh, we aren't genuinely seeking out what God would have for our lives. We've already got it figured out and mapped out. We don't depend on God on a daily best basis our refrigerators are full after all. 
for the most part, we're in good health or we've got drugs to help us with that. In fact, the truth is our lives wouldn't look much different if a version of God is made in our own image. It wouldn't look much different, our lives, if we suddenly stopped following Jesus. Now, I've got to tell you, it's, it's really confronting for me to be even talking about this because I've been on this journey where I keep staring in the face of God and He's saying, that has to go. I keep staring in the face of God and saying, that has to go. I keep staring in the face of God and saying, that has to go. And you know, it's, it's, it's not one of those, like, I have to try for it to go. I just keep staring and things fall off. Things fall off. So how do you know that you've got the fear of God in your life? I'll give you a, a definition from Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. When I found this out, I thought, okay, I've got some questions to ask myself. Um, and, you know, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way. And the perverse mouth I hate. So some of the questions come up which are, do you hate lying? Do you actually hate lying? What about gossip? Do you hate that? Do you hate arrogance? Do you run from it? That's how you know you've got the fear of God. Why should we fear God? Is that even biblical? Yes, because Jesus operated in this. In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 to three, um, as, it, as it's talking about the ministry of Jesus, um, it, it, it speaks of it. I'll read it out because it's important. For uh, And by the way, Jesus knew this of himself, that this was the way he was meant to go because he would have meditated on the Hebrew scriptures. He shall come forth a root from a root uh, like a rod. Like, there shall come forth. A rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of God shall rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and, the, and of the fear of the Lord. In verse 3 it says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord. His delight. Jesus operated in this. In Hebrews chapter 5, it speaks of Jesus again as, as our high priest. This is on the other side of him having completed everything that, he was, that was set out for him to do. He says, he also says in another place, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 5, it says, who in the days of his flesh, Jesus, in the days when he was here on earth, when he had offered up all the prayers, all the supplication with vehement cries, with deep cries and tears to his father who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. He was heard because of his godly fear. And verse 8 says, Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. He was heard because of his godly fears. But those who come near me, God says, I must be regarded as holy. There must be a, a, a sense of our, I'm squaring up my shoulders because that will change our prayer lives. 
that we're not approaching just any other God. Yes, Dad loves us. Yes, Father loves us. He calls us deep. And as we approach, let's not grow familiar. Let's not grow familiar. We heard last week that the fear of God is the God that keeps us from sin. It keeps us from sin. And the picture that I had as I was preparing for this and asking God for a word was um, he gave me this weird term called the eye of the storm. Now, I'm going to show you some pictures uh, of a hurricane, right? That's several hundred k's wide. The eye of the storm is surrounded by a wall. Uh, between the eye and the wall, there are incredibly strong winds. When the, when the storm is on... Uh, on um, over the seas, um, you can have waves right there in the middle that go all the way up to 40 meters, 40 meters high, uh, 40 yeah, 40 meters high in the middle of the eye when it's over the sea. When it's over the land, it's actually the safest place to be. So it can be either the most dangerous place or the safest place to be, depending on what's beneath you, right? And so, and it's that sense that God is calling us into the eye of the storm. Can we show the other picture of? That's what it looks like when you're just in the middle. And so that wall, some of the most dangerous winds um, that you will find over the whole storm are actually as you get closer and closer to that wall. And, and if the fear of God is our God, and if the instruction of the Lord is like that barrier, it's actually there and it's so strong. You shall not steal. Like, God, give me a break. But no, it's that strong that you've got to stay in the other storm. If you're a believer, that is the safest place to be. If you trust in Him. But if you do not, it is the most dangerous place to be. And Jesus, having died, and we awaiting Him coming back, that's God's patience so that many would become saved. It is a dangerous thing to be in the hand of God and not know Him. Very dangerous thing. How do I cultivate the fear of God? It's through obedience. Obedience is faith in action. When we approach Him, we approach Him confidently because of what Jesus did for us and we receive mercy. Mercy is what we didn't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve and have not worked for. Biblically, grace empowers you to be able to withstand the storm. Biblically, grace isn't just, I'm covering your sin. Grace is, this is my power for you to walk in holiness. We fear God when we are terrified of what he's able to do. That must be a reality if you're an unbeliever and if you do not know him. But the fear of, and, and, and even as a believer, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 10. Don't fear man, fear God, who's able to destroy both body and soul. But the fear of God, if you're a believer, is to be terrified to be away from him. That there is no safer place, there is no better place than right here in the heart of the Father. And so cultivating obedience looks like this. We'll talk 
think about it with the with the with the issue or or the the topic of forgiveness obedience looks like this when it's biblical and this list is not exhaustive obedience happens so with the issue of forgiveness when somebody hurts me it happens immediately or with little delay father forgive them they have no idea what they're doing why because i'm staring to the face of god like stephen the martyr how could he do that how could he do that he is being absolutely pelted with stones how could he do that he was looking at god he was looking at god and that revelation right there that connection right there it saved him it's, he, he christ likeness came out and he said forgive them father forgive them it happens with little to no delay obedience happens when god's words don't even make sense when god says forgive it doesn't make sense god where is your justice no 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 forgive by looking at him it does not make sense for jesus to save us it doesn't obedience happens even when it hurts we have the promise that he will eventually wipe every tear away so in the now we get to forgive even when it doesn't make sense even when it hurts we obey when we don't see the benefits of it we've become really good at talking about what god can do for you because he loves you but don't follow god because of his benefits there are benefits but obedience in the context of the fear of god is god i will follow you isaiah in chapter 6 pastor josh talked about this he just said i will go my devotion it will you don't have to do anything for me i've seen you and i will do everything that you will ask me everything that you will ask me you don't have to do anything for me and obedience happens to completion to completion partial obedience is not obedience because the grace of god will allow you to 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 stumble forward right it says in philippians woo work out your salvation that's a like allow the grace of god to work in you so that you give this thing a go but you are moving forward into the upward call of god where he is paul talks about where he is the fear of god says i'm with him and this is the scripture that i had in job 35 do you think it's right for you to claim i'm righteous before god young people maybe this is a question that 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 you have because he says you also ask what's in it for me what's the use of living a righteous life I will answer you and all your friends to look up in the sky and see the clouds high above you. If you sin, how does that affect God? Even if you sin again and again and again, what effect will it have on him? If you're good, is this some great gift to him? What would you possibly give him? No, your sins only affect people 
around you like yourself. Your good deeds also affect only humans. He keeps on talking and instructing and talking to Job about the greatness of God. Look, God is all-powerful. Who's a teacher like him? No one can tell him what to do or say to him. You've done wrong. Instead, glorify his mighty works, singing songs of praise. Everyone has seen these things, though only from a distance. Look, God is greater than we can understand. His years cannot be counted. How do you even put the word years and God together? I don't even know. He draws up the water vapor, then distills it into rain. The rain pours down from the clouds and everyone benefits. Who can understand the spreading of the clouds and the thunder that rolls forth from heaven? See how he spreads the lightning around him and how it lights up the depths of the sea. By the mighty acts, he nourishes the people, giving them food in abundance. He fills his hands with lightning bolts. And hurls each at its target. The thunder announces his presence. The storm announces his diligent anger. In the conversation where Job is complaining to God, God answers him and comes forth only after the truth is spoken about him. God will not be part of a conversation where there are only lies. How do you attract how do you attract the gaze of God? Repentance, humility, and his word held up high. And Job says something really interesting because he was righteous before this. He was righteous. God had said, "Have you seen my righteous person Job?" But then he says a really interesting statement as he's responding to God. After God has just said, square up, let me ask you questions. God, Job says, I only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I only heard you about you. I followed you because somebody else told me about you. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. An encounter with God changes everything. Doesn't matter what you've been through. It's when you encounter the reality of Jesus Christ. He's not coming back as friend and as this or that. He's coming back as Lord. Ready for a bride who is without blemish. And the, and, and the blemish that we have. It gets washed away. Even in the now, it gets washed away. All the sin, all the imperfection, it gets washed away as we behold Him. And the call is that we would see Him as He is. As He is, not as we want Him to be. As He is. As He is. As He is. What's holding you back? As He is. He wants to be known as He is. He's asking, can I come to you without having to put a mask on? Can I come to you without having to fit in a box so that you're more comfortable? I guarantee you the greatest comfort you get is within the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to read that so that it paints a picture of the greatness of our God. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au